Praise God. I was thinking this morning just about uh, Father's Day. And, uh, you know, I was thinking when I was younger, I thought Father's Day for the father, the greatest joy was probably like them, you know, us kids doing something for him or things like that. But I guess now that I've become a father, I've realized, at least for me, the greatest joy of Father's Day is just, just being a father. Like, man, it's such a gift. You know, it's such a gift to be a father. It's so wonderful to have children and to watch them, you know, grow and to have the opportunity to pour into them and, and, and point them to Jesus. It's, it's, it's beautiful. And I, and I know that sometimes we talk about how hard parenting is and different things, but it is, it is amazing. It truly is a gift of God. And so I'm so thankful for that and what God has done. Um, tonight, I'm, not tonight, this morning, I'm going to start off by showing a few photos. Okay. Um, so if y'all want to get those photos ready, we're good. Let's see what we got. All right, so these are a few photos, and um, what I want you to see, or what I want to describe to you about these photos, are these are different photos that I sent a message out to different youth and a few other kids uh, in our church and asked them, what comes to mind when they think about God? So as you're looking at that, and I said, what comes, like the first thing, and I want you to just draw it. So you're probably not going to see, well, I would say there's some, some that are prettier than others, but regardless, um, they did their best. So, you know, you look at this and you realize, okay, what was this person thinking? You know, it's kind of like, what is happening, right? Maybe God gives them a smile, a joy, I don't know, the key to their life or um, their home, peace, something of that sort, right? Um, and you can keep going. But you see these pictures, right? This one right here, Jesus on his throne. It's a beautiful photo. Just keep clicking, whoever's up there. Creation, maybe, creator, I'm not sure. Comforter, I thought that was a beautiful photo. I, I, I almost, I did. I teared up a little bit when I saw that and just like, thank God that our kids think that way. Jesus on the mountain, on the throne, right? The angels praying, praising him and so forth. Uh, God and his children, right? <laughs> and then this one's my favorite one of all. Uh, this is this is Adeline Abood. Uh, I, I text Wendy and Matt and said, "Hey, uh, ask her to draw a picture of what she thinks of when she thinks of God." And she put this. And uh, the beautiful the beautiful thing I think that's all of them. Um, the beautiful thing is that everybody has a thought, right? Every single person, you know, when you ask them what comes to mind when you think of God, something does pop up in their head. Whether it's what Adeline drew or somebody else or the comforter picture, regardless, every single one of us do have thoughts about God. And when we uh, think about them, this is it. You know? And so I, w- I was really praying and thinking about that. Uh, just the question is for us, what do you think about when you think about God? Um, it was really funny. I was praying and actually this week. Uh, Monday, I really felt like the Lord showed me what to minister on, and then Noah comes up and preaches Wednesday. And if you were here Wednesday night, you would laugh because it's like, whoa, he preached a message about about who is God, essentially. Um, and if you did not hear it, I strongly encourage you, go listen to it. I told him, I said it was one of the most powerful, one of the most powerful, and it was one of the best messages I've heard in a long time. It was very, very beautiful, and, and it was important. But the question that I want to ask is, what do you think about when you think about God? What pops up for you? What comes to mind? Every single one of us have this. Noah even made the same quote at the beginning that A.W. Tozer said that the most important thing about a man is what he thinks, God, what he thinks about God. Right? Because from that, right, it's going to determine your obedience, your life, how you live, uh, who you are. Do you think God's an angry God? Do you think he's a loving God? Do you think he's a merciful God? Do you think he's a callous God? What do you think about God? It determines much of our very lives. And so with that, I begin to think, well, what are some of the things we probably should think about? And, and, and I don't want to say there's one answer you have to give. 
right? Because there's a variety of things, right? There's the, the majestic God. When I think about God, I think about his majesty. You saw the, the, the picture with him on the throne and his majesty or the one where Jesus, God is on the mountain and he's sitting on a throne and the angels are worshiping. I was like a seven-year-old, so I thought it was really cool. I was like, that's pretty deep for a seven-year-old. Um, you know, it could be that picture or whatever. But today what I really want to do is I just want to look at the simple picture and we could say it's cliche, but I'd like to look at the picture of God as our father. Um, and I know we have Father's Day messages, and I'm not going to aim so much at you, the father, in this room today. Um, but I do pray that as you are a father, that just looking at uh, Father God, God our Father, that it would cause us to want to be better fathers, but more so getting our eyes on, on, on the Father. Um, and I think it's a beautiful thing because the truth is I'm kind of piggybacking off of what Noah preached on. But I don't think it was just like, oh, let me just piggyback. I believe the Lord put this word in my heart. I know he did. He put this word in my heart before Noah preached. I didn't know what Noah was preaching. And, and God put this all together. But not only that, to be honest with you, I would say that this is what God is speaking to our church. Because for months, I'm not sure how many months it's been, Pastor Lee has been preaching about the most important thing that we need right now in the American church is to have a high view of God. And to have a proper view of God. Not one that the, that the uh, culture creates or even the Christian culture creates. But what the word of God says about God. And because that is going to determine our worship, right? He's been pointing to Romans chapter 1. And he's been talking about that if we, don't under, if we don't worship God for who God is, we will make a God of our own and our own imagination, our own way. And we begin to worship that. And it leads to our destruction and it leads to depravity and despair. But if we truly worship who the real God is, who the real Father is, it leads to a life of, of joy, a life of obedience, a life of the, the abundant life that God has for our very lives. And so I want to look today at, just to encourage us, at looking at the kind of Father God is. Not the fact that He just is a Father, but what kind of Father is He? And Scripture has so much for us to look into that. So if you would, turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to look at a passage here. Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to look at something very familiar for all of us, um, something we've heard many, many times before in our lives, okay? I'm going to let everybody turn there. I don't mind sitting and waiting. It doesn't bother me. So, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, a very familiar passage. So what we see here is the Lord's Prayer, right? Um, this is the Lord's Prayer, something we've all heard a whole entire lives. And I'm just going to go ahead and read it. It says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we also forgive our trespassers. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And when you read this, this prayer, we're not going to go down this whole prayer. We're not going to break it all down. But I, I do want to look at one part. And I really just want to look at the first sentence of it. So really verse 9 is what I want to get after. And I want to look at this because it's just one sentence. But there's so much truth about who God is or the type of father that God is in this. You know, we, we, we've, we've heard this prayer a whole lot. How many of you used to quote this prayer all the time? Maybe because you're on a sports team. Okay, two people. All right, I was one of those. So when I was a kid, I used to play football. And I remember the coach would always like, okay, we're going to quote the Lord's Prayer he was not born again and probably was most of none of the players. But we were required to quote the Lord's Prayer. And, and, and so many people know the Lord's Prayer and they quote it as repetition and just say it over and over again as if it does something. But the truth is right before this and even verse 7, Jesus pretty much says, like, don't pray like the Pharisees, which is just repetitive prayer. Right? But pray in a way to the Father. And he describes what prayer should be like. And so it's more of a guide of how prayer should be, more of a structure in some way of how our prayer life should be. 
But what Jesus does in this prayer is he does some incredible things. And so we're going to look into that. And we're really going to look into just three things that it reveals about the Father. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you, Jesus, and God, I thank you. I thank you that you are our Father, God. I thank you you've been merciful towards us and good towards us. And I thank you that you've given us such an, uh, a love, God, for one another, God. But I think ultimately, thank ultimately that you've given us a love for you. That we were never able to love you, God, apart from anything that we've done in ourselves, God. It was all because of what you did, Jesus. And I just pray, God, that today, God, you would give us the ability to hear what you have to say, to see the word, to understand it, God. But most importantly, God, for it to grab our hearts. God, not for us to grab it, but for your word to grab us. Grab a hold of us and pierce us, God, and cause us to love you and have adoration for you, God. And so be with us. Give us a revelation of the Father. That's what we need, and that's what we ask for. And so speak to us and touch us in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, like I said, from verse 9, I'm just going to pull out a few things. The first thing I want us to see about the Father, the kind of Father that you see in the Scripture, is that the Father is an intimate Father. Right? Not all earthly fathers are intimate. Some of you have probably know that. Some of you may have been fathers who have not been very intimate. That's just the reality. There's a lot of us that aren't. But the father that we see in this passage is very intimate. And this is what I want to say to you or help pull the curtain behind this. Because when you read this statement and you've grown up, if you've grown up in the Christian world, it doesn't seem like a big deal that Jesus is calling God Father, right? We've heard this our whole entire lives. God the Father, God the Father. We hear these things when we're children. But for the first century Jews, this was quite a, a, a radical, a revolutionary idea. In the Old Testament, the word Father to describe God is used a total of 15 times, okay? So it's not like God the Father was unheard of in the Old Testament. It just wasn't a common name. In the Gospels alone, Jesus uses the term Father to describe God 165 times. So there's just like overwhelming emphasis on father. But it's not just that there's a, a, a lot larger of a use of the term father, but it's their understanding of father. When you think about the way the Jews understood the word father in the Old Testament and really during the first century, these Jews of the day, the Pharisees, the scribes, all of these people that, that knew the word and so forth, the way they understood father was in the, the terms of God the father of Israel or God the father of creation or God the father over the cosmos, something of that sort. But they did not understand him in an intimate way. They understood that he was father, but again, he's a father over the nation of Israel. He's father over the uh, creation because he fathered creation and so forth. But more than that, what Jesus is doing here is he's declaring for the first time in these passages that Jesus, yes, he is father over creation. Yes, he's father over Israel in that sense, but more so he's a father to you on an individual basis, on an individual level. God is not only a father of creation, but he's a father to you. And you see this very clearly because he tells, he's telling his disciples to pray this way. He's not saying every single person in the world can pray this way. Not every person in the world. If you're lost, you're, you don't know God, you haven't come to follow Jesus and confess him as Savior. The truth is God is not your father. He's not. But the disciples, those who have confessed and followed Jesus, their father is God. And Jesus is giving him this revolutionary idea that God is an intimate God. This is what he's after. This is what God has always been for, a God that wants to be intimate with them. And so he's bringing this whole new perspective. So could you imagine if you had grown up in the Jewish world 
And you had understood God. Yes, I believe God the Father. And, and he, he is the Father of these things. But all of a sudden, this man starts coming to preach and tell you, like, God wants you to know him. God actually wants you to experience him. God actually wants you to really live in communion and fellowship with him in such an intimate way. And I think David knew that. I think David was one of the few characters in the Old Testament that really understood that. But most of the characters in the Old Testament didn't have that grasp fully yet. But Jesus is bringing this. And, he's, and he comes, and when Jesus' very life, Jesus' life is lived in such a way to reveal the Father to everyone. So that they could know what the Father was like. So they could experience the Father. So they could have the fullness of joy of knowing who the Father really was in this life. And so much like them, they had a misunderstanding of God, the Father. We too still do today. We could say we don't, but the reality is many of us do. We have misunderstandings of God the Father. Some of us in here sometimes think that God is distant with us. Or that God may be uh, more like a business partner. You do this, you get this. You put this work in, you get this. This transactional mode with God. But this is not the kind of father is. He's not a, a father who's business oriented. And he's not a father who's distant. Some may say or even think that God is angry. Father God is an angry God, right? And I know this to be true because I've heard young people say these things. When you really sit down with teenagers and you allow them to be honest, you'll be surprised the accusations or the things they'll say regarding God. And it's because of maybe things they've went through or things they've seen or whatever. And they'll just be honest and they'll just tell you and you're like, if you only knew him. If you only knew him. And so some of us may walk around or we may have these distorted views of God where we think he's distant or maybe he's, you know, transactional based or he's angry with us. But this is the exact opposite of what scripture teaches us. What scripture teaches us and what Jesus is teaching us here is that Father God, God the Father is a God of intimacy, meaning that he's a God to be known. Paul would pick up these same things right in Romans when he says this, he talks about how we have received the spirit of adoption as sons and by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You've probably heard this so many times, right? In Galatians, it says the same thing. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So we are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You've probably heard these things. We've all heard these things, especially if you've grown up in church like I have. And the term Abba, and you're like, okay. And I've heard it, you know, people say Abba should be, the best way to translate Abba is daddy. And you know, like, I'm going to be honest with you. For a long time, that made me uncomfortable. It made me uncomfortable because it almost made me feel like I was disrespecting God. Daddy or dad, you choose. But the truth is, is that's not, like, that is what it should, that's the translation of that word. A better way to put it. But it's not disrespecting God. It's what God calls himself. In other words, it's a term of endearment. It's a term of deep intimacy. I mean, I was even thinking about my own father. I don't walk around calling him. Not that you shouldn't call God father, right? The Bible does. But I don't even really walk around calling my dad father. I would be like, father, we'll come. You know, like it would just feel weird. If, you know, Titus is like, father. You know, I mean, I feel a little strange. Many of you don't know my accents. I have plenty of them. Um, the youth know. <laughs> Right? Father, it just, but, and, and, and when you look at the New Testament, it's almost like we're getting this understanding to say, like, Dad. 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 And I actually, I actually decided, you know, I'm going to pray like that. And at first it felt a little uncomfortable for me because I was like, gosh, is this, is this sacrilegious? You know, is this like, what is really happening? But this is what the New Testament even describes in a way. And I realized, like, man, he's my dad. And the question I ask myself is, maybe I haven't known the intimacy with the Father as much as I should, and that's maybe why I'm uncomfortable there. 
when really he wants me to feel so comfortable with him and intimate with him that I can call him dad and not be ashamed of that or not feel like I'm doing something wrong because I think he embraces that. I think he welcomes that, call me dad today. Maybe you should try that. Maybe you should put that into perspective or pray that way, right? I was thinking about this, and really, when you think about Jesus bringing this introduction or this idea, this revolution idea that God is the father of intimacy, it's really the gospel story, right? Humanity in the garden with God in intimacy and in relationship. Sin breaks that relationship God sends his son, Jesus, to live, to reveal who the father is. He dies on the cross for our sins, is buried three days, resurrected so that we can have new life. He goes to the father. Why? So that we could be reconciled to an intimate relationship with the father. That is the gospel. Not only that, you look at it that way, but you can look at the big picture too. From the beginning, intimacy, to the end, intimacy. What does the scripture say in Revelation? That they... There will be no need for a son because God will be their light. And the angels will look and say, look, God is with his people. This is what the biblical story is all about. Is a relational God. Is a God, a father who so wants his people to be near to him. And here's the truth. No, nobody can restrain us from that. Nobody but us. I restrain myself from knowing the father more intimate than I do. And the truth is, is that God, but God doesn't say you're restrained because of your sin. He's made a way for our sin to be dealt with. He's made a way for all of that. And he invites us clearly into a relationship that is abounding with joy. And that's what I was saying earlier, is that when we truly come into, I think, a relationship like this, John would say it in 1 John where he's like, my, basically John says, I wish you to know the Father and the Son like I do in this fellowship because your joy will be complete greatest joy of all is that intimacy with God. And I don't know if I fully believe that sometimes, but I'm praying, God, would you do a work in me? Would you change me? Would you help me to see this? I was thinking about this picture of this, and you're familiar with light switches in here, and in this place, we have a light switch. When you turn it off, um, you turn the button, it goes on and off, right? You and your house, you turn it on, and you turn it off. It goes dark, goes light, right? And I was thinking about a picture for that, but then I was like, you know, mate, that's not really the most accurate way, because I could turn it on and be like, oh, come on, now I understand the Father as intimate. And that, that may be true to a degree. And turn it off and I don't understand. But I, I think it's more of a progressive thing. I think the Christian life is very progressive. And you've seen the other light switches, and I hate these light switches. Because um, I hate when people, like, turn them halfway up, right? You see the little light switch where you, you it's like the, what is it called? The dimmer, right? And you grab the little dimmer thing, and you start, and it starts really, really dim. And then it slowly goes up and it gets brighter and brighter brighter and brighter and brighter and to the point where you get to this place where it's fully bright, right? And I was thinking, that is more of a picture of our progressing of understanding the intimacy that God wishes to have with us. You may sit in this room and you may be like, I just have a glimmer of intimacy with the Father. I may only understand him in this portion. Maybe I still struggle with him feeling like he's an angry God or he's a distant God. He's not distant at all, but maybe I struggle with that. But the truth is, you could move God by the Holy Spirit and his revelation could move that little dimmer up just a little bit more today and a little bit more the next day and a little bit more the next day. And I pray that when we finally get to see him face to face, that dimmer will be fully up and we'll be like, my gosh, all I could have known. And so just to say, Jesus, what he's doing is he's given this huge invitation to every single disciple. Come know him. 
come know him. And not just the facts about him. Right? We all do that. We could all probably quote and memorize facts about God today. We could probably quote all the names he has. But not just the facts. Know him. And you know when there's a difference. You know when that's taking place in your life. And and so the invitation is wide open for every single one of us. This is a God. This is a father of intimacy that wishes to be known. He did everything possible through the gospel for that to become a reality. We cracking here? So, I pray. Is it this thing? No? We can sit and wait. Anyway, waiting for somebody to do something. But anyway, we'll move on while the cracking is going on, shall we? Thank you, Jonathan. God is a father of intimacy. And he wants to be known. And there's no one or nothing that restricts you from that but ourselves. And I think sometimes it could be a variety of things that do restrict us, but the invitation is there. When you even think about first, I mean, John chapter uh, one talks about he gives the right, he gives the power for people to become sons and sons and daughters of God, not by their flesh or by their willpower, but by his will. In other words, God has made it fully possible for us to discover and know him. And so. It does turn the Christian life a little bit different around where it's not this life of I get saved and then I get to heaven. It turns this Christian life into I get born again. And now I'm on, I'm on an adventure of coming to know God evermore, increasingly. And it's available for all of us. The second thing that Jesus really pulls out in this statement, so we have our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, right? Our Father, very clearly. And there's more you could say about that, the whole R thing, but I'm not going to get into that. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, is the second statement of this, is this in heaven. And really the simplicity of that is in, in heaven is, God, is the description of God's location, right? God's location. And I would say it like this is what he's revealing here is that God is a father of power. God is a father of power. And I want to read to you some scriptures to point to this. Because if it's a location, if it's an understanding that where God resides is the heavens, it's not like an earthly father that resides in your house next to you. To God who resides far above you, right? It says this in First Chronicles. I'm going to read some repetition here. First Chronicles 29, 11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted ahead above all. The heavens declare the glory of God and sky above proclaims his handiwork. Who alone has immorality, immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to be honor and eternal dominion forever. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yet the world is established. It never, sh- it never shall be moved. And when you think about these passages, and I, we could, gosh, I, was, I had like, like 30 scriptures, and I was like, I cannot read them all. There's no way. And that's not even that's just individual scriptures. Then you have full passages of it, like Isaiah, Isaiah 40, when it talks about who can, you know, a, the nations like a drop in the bucket, or who can who holds the stars in his hands, or with Job, and it's like, where were you when I told the water that it could only go so far? Who holds this? Who did this? Who spoke to creation? Who did all these things? Who is the majestic king? God the Father, right? And what it declares to us is that God is a God of power. 
God is a God who is majestic and mighty and almighty. Revelation chapter 4, when you read that passage and you begin to look at it, what you see is you see a picture of God on the throne. And he's on the throne and you have angels around him and you have the 24 elders around him. You have these creatures with eyeballs all over their body, right? Then they're all falling before him. The elders are throwing their crowns and they're screaming, worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lord God Almighty who is and is to come, who was and is and is to come, right? And you see this and it talks about how he's worthy because he's God, creator over all things. And it's screaming that this is God. He is not just some simple little God. And I could, we could spend all day on that, but I would tell you to go listen to Noah's message if you want to hear that. Because what we heard Wednesday night was such a beautiful message about the, maj- the majesty of God and the glory of God. But the beautiful thing is that that is my father. Timothy says, right, in Timothy it says, talks about how he alone has immortality who dwells in unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. And yet he says, call me dad. Like that God who is majestic, who creatures are bowing before him and millions of millions of angels are gathered around his throne right now declaring you're worthy, you're worthy, and they're falling before him. That is your father. I don't, I don't think we understand that sometimes, but the truth is that is significant because this is what it declares. Your father is fully powerful, majestic, and mighty. And you know what this screams to me? It screams very much this. My father can do something. Because sometimes we walk through things in life, we go through trials, we go through tribulations. Maybe we're fearing the economy. Maybe we're fearing what's going on. We're hearing the news reports and all these certain things. My God, my father sits on the throne. The earth is his footstool. Heavens are his throne. Heavens declare his handiwork. He created all things. Everything exists because he holds it together. Every breath you take right now is because he allows and he's sustaining it. All of that. That's my father. So what do I fear? What what, what possibly am I walking through that is so great for my father? This truth about what he reveals, about that he's in heaven, is a declaration that he is the all-powerful father. And there's nothing that I will endure, nothing that I'll walk through that he can, he's helpless or can't do anything to, do, to help me with. God is glorious. And I was thinking about this, you know, let's say there was some situation, and you understand, as a, maybe your father, and your child has a need and there's nothing you can do about it. You ever been there? It's, it, it, it's, a, it's a hard thing. You feel really like, I, w- I want to help. I want to help. I want to do something. Or maybe it's even your spouse or whatever. Right? You want to help them. You want to relieve them. And you can't. Maybe it's, it's someone has a sickness or something. You want to do everything you can, but you can't. You don't have the power to do it. That's never the case with God. Never the case with God. He is absolutely powerful. Um, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about a story that took place in my life when I was a little kid. Um, I was the runt of the family. I was, um, my little sister, who was like two years younger than me, could pin me down and beat me. It, it was very embarrassing. And I was the skinniest and shortest kid in my class till about eighth grade, so I was tiny. And I remember I was probably maybe in second or third grade at this point. I don't remember everything. Um, but I remember I was on the soccer field out at recess, and I was being picked on by kids that were a grade above me, these older boys, and I couldn't do anything to stop them. Like, I, even if I tried to swing at them, I would get destroyed. I was tiny. Um, you can go find pictures. Don't go find pictures. Don't ask my mom. Um, I had these huge ears and was a little little run, running around. Um, 
I was a tiny little kid, and I remember I couldn't do anything about it, and I still remember this story. And I was just like, what am I going to do? And I remember my brother, who's two grades above me, and my brother, if you know him, he was always been very big and athletic and strong. And he ran, and he just, he, when he ran, he pushed those boys. And he probably shouldn't have, but he pushed them. He did some things. And uh, they ran off like scared dogs. And I was just thinking of that silly, silly, the silly story because the truth is, is like in many ways, that's kind of how it is with our God. We go through battles. We go through things that we can't defeat. We, it, it is bigger than us. It is greater than you. You have no ability to defeat that sin. You have no ability to defeat anything. And then all of a sudden, here comes your glorious God who has almighty, majestic, all-powerful, consuming fire, everything. He is going to judge the and he comes and he rescues and he defeats the enemy. That's your strong tower. That's the one you call on. That's the one you know. Even in my own life, there was a period in my life I remember, and I've sh- shared this with you all before, but I still think, I look back on it, I'm like, God, you were so merciful to me. There was a time in my life I was struggling with sin, and I thought I could never be free. And I remember just telling God, you don't even have the power to free me. Oh, what a foolish statement, and what a dumb statement to make, and how I should have been judged right there by God. But in his mercy, I remember him saying to me, I'll show you my power. And y'all, he freed me. It doesn't work that way for everybody, I get it. But for some reason that day, God just freed me. And it never, what happened that day, forever changed me. And I saw a picture of a father who's powerful. We don't have a God who's, who's helpless to help us. But we have a God who's fully capable of taking on everything that you're facing in this moment and do something about it. So for us, it's very simple. What, we, what does that mean? What does that do for us? You can, have, you can have confidence today. You can rest today, even with the things that are facing you in this life. The third and final truth that you look at in this prayer that Jesus is teaching, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, is this. He's a father of care. When you look at this statement, you see the statement that says, hallowed be your name. And, and uh, once again, this isn't a term that we walk around. I don't, I don't know anybody that's ever walked around and said, let's be hallowed. Right? Like, hallowed. It's like, it, nobody does that. Um, they said, I'm aware of. We don't talk like that. And so when we read this, sometimes we're like, what does that mean? Is that a noun? It's actually a verb here. And what it actually means is it means this, to esteem God's name. For his name to be mighty, for his name to be glorious, for his name to be lifted up, to his name to be exalted. So he's saying, pray that, your, that God's name, the Father's name, would be exalted and esteemed highly. Now, I understand when you read that first off, it's like, okay, how does that have to do with my care? Right? But I'll tell you this. This is what everything that has to do with your care is really, it's this. It's because God cares about his name. It's the guarantee that you'll be cared for. And I'll show you. When you look at the scriptures, of, uh, uh, and I'll just read them to you. and look at some of these scriptures, Ezekiel 36 talks about how God says, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations in which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord that declares the Lord. Even, when I, even through you, I will vindicate my holiness. And it talks about in Samuel, for the Lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. And the scriptures lay out all throughout the Old Testament that God actually ha- cares about his namesake, his name to be hallowed, his name to be esteemed, his name to be lifted up, and his name to be glorified. But here's the beautiful thing. The reason why that is so beautiful to you and I is because we are his children. When you think about Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, it says this, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, 
who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. In other words, when you confessed faith in Jesus Christ, God put his name on you. He gave you his spirit. And God cares about his name. So God's not going to disown you. God's not going to take your life through the mud and drag you through and say, I just want to destroy you. I just want to mislead you. I just want to abuse you. I just want to harm you. I think about people in the room right now who are going through some of the most difficult seasons of their life right now. God is not just dragging you through the mud. The end result is God's name will be esteemed through what he's doing through you. His name will be hallowed. His name will be lifted up. His name will be glorified. But here's the truth. Through that, in every circumstance, he would take care of everything in your life. Because he cares about his name. He cares about you. He is not abandoning you in any way. It is the guarantee. The fact that God cares about his name is the guarantee that we will not be forsaken. That we will not be disowned. That we will not be destroyed in any way. Because if God didn't care about his name or didn't care about his reputation, and we had his name, well, I don't care. I don't care what happens to you. That's not God the Father. God the Father is the God who cares about his children. He's the God that loves and he will walk with you through the hardest things. And and through it, you will be used as an instrument to glorify God and make his name esteemed and highly in the earth. But all the while through it, he will not leave you to destruction. And so you can rest assured to have trust and security. You can rest in peace. You You can sit here today and say, my God is glorious. I don't have to fret. I don't have to worry. I don't have to be downcast. I don't have to be overcome by these fears or these things in my life. All of these scriptures are true because of this. Psalm, Psalms 25, verse 1. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is, it is great. Because God cares for his name, he forgives us. God is not going to be a God that says, I don't, you know, just deal with your sin. I, I have taken them. I, I, when he said, I, gave, I give them my spirit, God was basically saying, I take complete ownership and responsibility for them. What, what more peace God has taken responsibility for you? Just think on that. He's, he's responsible for you. He loves you. He cares for you. He's not left you in any way. Right? Hebrews. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and safe. The Lord will fight for you and you only have to be silent. Isaiah 49. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget. Yet I will not forget you. Why? Because you are his child. Because your name, his name, the, the spirit of God, he has given you his spirit. He has given you his name. He cannot forget you. He will not. He will not disgrace his name. He will. His name will be esteemed. And so therefore he cannot cause us. He cannot forget us. He cannot abandon us. He cannot leave us into destruction. Zephaniah, the Lord, your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Blessed Corinthians, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction because he cares about his name. These, these scriptures are actually true. If he didn't, he could abandon them. But he won't. I was thinking about this too. Many of you, you remember when you first had your first child and you were in the hospital and and some of you, you recently had your first child, so you can relate to this. You had your first child, and you went to the hospital, and 
you got this wristband. You remember the wristband they put on there? And on the wristband, it would say whatever your name was, right? So mine was, you know, it's Felix Burst. It's got my name on there. And it's got the number and it's got everything. And then Haven, I remember when Haven was first born and we were getting ready to leave. Haven had the same wristband. It would match my wristband. And we were getting ready to leave. And when they, they would check our wristbands to make sure that it was our baby, right? And so we didn't just take somebody else's baby. And I was thinking about that picture of that. It's so, it's so true. Is that they didn't allow me to go just to take the child. They were checking to see if my name was on the child. That child had the name Birch. And the reason why is because they, it's in a sense of this. is They're saying, if this child is yours and it bears your name and it says Birch on it, they you know it's entrusted to you to care for, to nurture, to love, to protect, to guide, to do all of these things. And so because of that, they say, you can take this baby and you can put it in the car, even though you're as much of a you know baby in this whole matter yourself, it feels like, and as challenging it might be, and you are going to go and you're going to take that baby home and you're going to protect and you're going to nurture and you're going to teach this child how to live. You're going you're to do everything a father should do. And when you think about that picture, because I had the name on Birch and Haven had the name Birch, I took her home and I began to teach her and love her. And God does the same with us. He gives you a spirit and, he, and it says, and on you it says, child of God. And he looks at your life and he says, I take full responsibility for you. I take ownership of you and I love you and I care for you. And I'm going to guide you. And regardless, yeah, you're going to go through hard things. Haven, you've got to go through some hard things. But I'm going to walk you through it. It's going to be difficult. You're going to get picked on. You're going to have a, some trial in your life, Haven. That dad is going to walk you through it. And the end of it is going to be good. It's the same thing with God. He takes us through things that are horrific it feels and painful it feels. But God is actually guiding you through it. Why? Does he, and, 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 because you have his name. He put it upon you. And I was just thinking about this and some musicians, you can come up. Simple truth of this is when you think about a father, that our father is a father unlike any other. He's a father that is absolutely desires to be intimate with you. He's a father who is absolutely almighty and powerful that any circumstance you've walked in here with today, you actually can have peace about because your God is greater than that. Maybe you walk in here and you do feel like you're, you're going through things that seem so horrific and you feel like, God, are you there? Are you going to be there? Are you going to abandon me? You have his name. If you have his name, he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you. And that doesn't mean it's going to be a one month, a two month. It could be 10 years. It could be a lifetime. But through this, because you bear his name, you, your life will esteem him greatly to the world. But it will also is it also the guarantee that he won't forsake you through it? So I, I, I just want to make an invitation to us today. What is, the, what is the natural response to this? It is just simply this, to praise him. Because we could sit here and you could hear these things about God. You could hear these things about the Father. And you could hear them with the intellect of man and never actually move an inch closer to worship. But you can hear them by the revelation of the Spirit, who Corinthians teaches us, that is only by the Spirit we can know God, and it can move you into a place of adoration, love, devotion, and worship for Him. And this is what God calls. And, and 
you know, you think about Father's Day. It's great to honor our fathers on Father's Day, right? But the greatest father to honor today really is our father, God the Father. The one who is longing today for you and me to be intimate with. Not just to get you saved and then make, and, and, and you know, the Christian life is okay, but for you to go on this progressive, that little dimmer moving up more and more to know God in an intimate fashion. Pursue him. He's pursued you. He's pursued us in every way. Let us pursue him by the grace of God. For us to understand his power and his might so that you can know that the battles you face are not too big for you. Not too, brother, too big for you, but not too big for him. That you can have security in here and that you can trust him as you're going through the hardships of life. And so if you would just stand with me, my prayer is this. Can we just praise him? Can we just like, this is our father. This is our father. And I get it, y'all. Trying to or trying to share anything about God the Father in Scripture is a foolish task for a man. Because it's impossible. He's majestic. He's mighty. He's glorious. There's really nothing we can do to really speak about how wonderful God is, truly give it justice. But regardless, we look at the Scriptures and we just declare, your word says this about you. You are my Father in heaven. And hallowed be your name. You have not abandoned us. You have not left us. You are our Father in a way that you care for us. And despite our sin, despite our failures, despite our tragedies and the things that we are, you do not distance yourself from us because of those things. But you actually say, come near, child. Come near. If you struggle with sin, if you struggle with abandonment, or you struggle with things where you just feel so shameful, God is not saying stay at a distance. He's saying come near to Him. If you're overwhelmed and you have no ability against the battle that you're facing, he's saying, I have the power. Come near. I have the power to overcome. I have the power to change the circumstances. I am the Almighty. I am the Creator. I am the one who holds the stars in my hands. I am the one who has the nations in the bucket. I am the one who the earth is my footstool. My throne is in the heavens. He is all. He keeps everything together. He says, maybe you feel like you, you can't make it a day longer through what you're walking through. You have my name. And if you have my name, you know I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. I will not abandon you. I just implore to you, come to him. Come to the Father. Not with intellect. Please, not with intellect. Not with understanding points about a sermon, but to truthfully say, God the Father, I want to worship you. God the Father, I want to know you. God the Father, I want to love you. God the Father, I need you. Oh, Call him dad if you need to, but just cry out to him and let him know how beautiful he is, how much he means to you. Have intimacy with him in this moment. Hold nothing back from him. If it's because it's too difficult to get out of a row, push out of the way. There's a woman with an issue of blood who pushed people out of the way to get to Jesus. They were friends who carried their, their, their paralyzed friend off on a stretcher and tore through a roof to get to Jesus. Why? Because they needed to get to him. If you need to get to the Father, move through the crowds today. If you're in the middle of a row and you need to, get out of the row. Push the people out of the way. Do whatever you have to. But get to the Father. It is the Father we have to get to. It's not church. It's not religion. It's not even a song. It's the Father. Be with him. Seek him. He sought you with everything. He gave his son for all of it. I just pray for our own lives. God, help us by your grace to pursue this life with you. To know the adventure we get to set, we live in and we get to be a part of, of discovering you. Maybe the Christian life has got mundane to you. 
Maybe it's got dull and boring and slow. Here's the truth. You need to come to the Father. That's where the joy and the excitement is. It's not even necessarily an, an, an activity or sharing your faith. That's great. But the true joy and the excitement and the real adventure is knowing God all through this life. So if you're stale and you're cold, come to the Father for intimacy. Oh, I, I can only say it so much. I pray that you hear by the Spirit of God, not by my words. The Spirit of God, He's crying out, come to the Father. So Lord, we thank you, Jesus. We thank you, God, that you are our Father today. And that we do confess you are the glorious Father. You are the mighty Father. You are the Father that we need. You are the Father that is in every way a Father unlike any other. There is no earthly Father like you. But Lord, we confess today, God, that you are the greatest of all fathers. And so we just bow our knee to you. We worship you. We desire to give praise and glory and honor to you. I pray, God, if we're cold, we would run to you. Not to the next Bible study, not to the next book that teaches us things, but to the Father. Light a flame in my heart today, God. Oh, let me see you in a revelation that is so deep and real that causes me to love you, Jesus, to love you, Father. Praise you, God. Be magnified today in our worship of you and the altar, Lord. Praise you, God.